Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. So, do you want marketing made simple? Shopify removes the guesswork with built-in tools that help you create, execute, and analyze all your online marketing campaigns. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com income, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com income now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com income. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Stagecraft, Variety's theater podcast, your backstage pass to intimate conversations with stars, creators, and industry leaders on Broadway, off Broadway, and beyond. I'm Gordon Cox. On this episode of Stagecraft, I'm talking to a writer, a composer, and an actor, but not about a new theater project. I'm talking to them about a video game, a video game that's also a musical. Stray Gods is a new game developed by the independent Summerfall Studios and published by Humble Games, and it calls itself a role-playing musical. If you've never heard of a video game that incorporates musicals and musical theater, that's because a game like that didn't really exist until now. The book writer for Stray Gods, if you will, is David Gator, the creative director and co-founder of Summerfall Studios. He's worked on games like Baldur's Gate 2, Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic, and Dragon Age. The songwriter of Stray Gods is Austin Wintory, whose credits include the games Journey, Abzu, and The Banner Saga. Now, the names of all those games might not mean a whole lot to you, the listeners of a theater podcast, but take it from me, as someone who was a video game kid even before he was a theater kid, I can tell you that these titles are among the most notable and, in some cases, influential of the last 20 years. Now, Gator and Wintory join me in the virtual studio with one more of their collaborators, the performer Anjali Bamani, a theater veteran who made her Broadway debut in Metamorphoses. 
She's one of several theater folks in the game's voice cast, alongside Anthony Rapp and Merle Dandridge. With the game just released earlier this month, Bamani, Gator, and Wintry will take us behind the scenes, or is it behind the code, of this unexpected musical game mashup. Hey everyone, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having us. This is exciting. I found myself just waiting for the non-existent live audience to respond to that. And then I thought, oh, wait, that's us. That's us. We're the live audience. The overture as well. Yeah. Yeah. We don't (laughs) see many video games that are musicals. I can confirm because I've looked for them and they, I don't, I haven't found any. Um, So I just wanted to start off by talking a little bit about just where the idea came from. Who did it originate with? And what was the, what was the germ of the idea? Uh, that would be me, I guess. Uh, yeah, that's you, David, from what I understand. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, um, I was working at a, a game studio called Bioware in, in Canada um, back when we were working on a game called Dragon Age Inquisition. And I reached a point after making a number of role-playing games that I thought there has to be some way to more easily access a player's emotions. And uh, I think I was watching um, uh, the Buffy musical episode once more of feeling that I thought, oh, this is great. Like the music is such a great shortcut to the soul. Can we put that in games? And so I uh, engineered a musical bit, like a, a, an interlude in the Inquisition story. It wasn't interactive. It was just a, basically a long cut scene. Mm. Um, but the process of making it, of working with the composer and writing the lyrics and stuff like that, I thought, oh, this is this is neat. Um, but all my experience has been with making things interactive and branching. Could we do that with music? And so I, I initially proposed it as a, a downloadable content uh, for Inquisition, and uh, <laughs> the powers that be were got a little bit nervous about that. The amount of work it was, even though the team themselves were, they were like, "Oh my God, this is amazing! Let's do this." So um, after I left Bioware in 2016, um, it was always this, in the back of my head as this as this bucket list thing um, that I wanted to try. So when Liam Messler, my uh, co-founder at uh, one of my co-founders at, at uh, Summerfall Studios, um, first asked, like, "What would our first game be? What can we make that?" You know, we're making this indie game that's really hard to get indie games noticed. What's something we can do that would be a little bit different and that we would find cool to work on? Um, and that my first answer was interactive musical. Right. And then at what point did uh, Austin get involved? <laughs> I, I mean, I can definitely chime in with yeah, yeah. yeah it, it, the, the crazy bit of kismet is I'm pretty sure that my side of that was very tightly parallel in just a bit of crazy happenstance because um, 2018, uh, so not long after sort of this crossroad uh, of David's with sort of moving on from Bioware and all that, I I was called up by a friend um, who we'd never worked together, but we always thought it'd be fun to work together, a guy named Ken Wong. And he said, um, um, why don't you pitch me a game instead of me make a game and then see if you would want to write the music for it, which is the traditional composer developer relationship. And so uh, I showed up to a meeting with him with a list of ideas. And the first among them was what about a video game musical, you know, where this, the music is 
you know, interactive and branching and, and a real core part of the gameplay. And he goes, I am so not the person to make that game. He goes, that sounds cool, but like, it's just not me as a developer. He, but he goes, but weirdly, I have this friend named Liam. We were in San Francisco at the Game Developers Conference. That's the bit of context here, which is this annual gathering of like 30,000 plus people of essentially representatives of most every game studio and publisher in the whole world. I mean, it's it's just this massive annual gathering in San Francisco. And um, so I showed up and he um, uh, and, and with this pitch in mind, and, and he said, my buddy Liam is here. You two should meet because he's kind of looking for collaborators on a musical or something. He didn't know much. He just said, you, you should meet this guy, Liam. And so Liam and I found each other online and Liam said, I'm going to the airport in about an hour. You have time to meet right now. So we hoofed it across downtown San Francisco to convene on each other's location. And it was like this speed dating of like, you know, okay, so just what are you all about? What are you into? What kind of musicals do you like? And just like, because we had no time to go through the normal song and dance of getting to know each other. But the thing, as David already mentioned, was striking was that of all the musicals one could name, um, the one that both of us immediately said was part of what inspired the interest in a game musical was the Buffy musical. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, and I, think the, I think the thing in my mind that made it, there were two things about it. I promise not to belabor this answer much more because we have Anjali here and she's way more interesting than anybody. So, um, but the thing that, that spoke to me about the, the the Buffy musical that made it feel like such, of all the musicals in the world and have seen a lot, um, that what made this one kind of speak to what games could potentially add to the mix was that number one, it's diegetic. They, the characters are fully aware they are in a musical and that's core to the, the story. In the case of Buffy, they're if they don't get out of it, they'll die. Um, so you know, it's like a it's like an evil spell. But the idea is that they're very aware they're singing and they're kind of embracing the absurdity of that. And that just something about that seemed very naturally compatible with the idea of a game. However, that could manifest, and there's a lot of different ways one could do it. Obviously, we chose one particular way to do it, but but that could that could go a lot of different ways. Um, but also, what I loved was that um, the Buffy musical is sort of about characters that are not naturally in a musical and that navigating that and, and resting major plot development on that is also very compelling and interesting. And I, I think very actually creatively courageous in the, in the, in the Buffy case. And I liked the idea that, you know, a musical where the characters are somehow caught in that one way or the other, it's not about just, this is just the language of this world and the story, the way most musicals are. You just accept that they sing without any, question as to why they are that's just part of the vocabulary of the medium but in this case it's like well what if we made that part of the thing and then lo and behold i meet liam and he's like well you know david and i have basically been brainstorming on all this you should just hitch a ride with us and that was five years ago and here we are right yeah we're gonna wind back a little bit to talk a little bit about how you sort of got started on that process but before we do that anjali by the time you got involved I imagine the project was a little further along. Like, did it exist as a script? As I like, what did you get? And why uh, did the idea excite you? Well, first thing I got was a text from Troy Baker saying, hey, do you sing? Um, <laughs> and uh, and the answer was, yeah, what do you want? Up-tempo ballad? You know, a typical yeah. theater girl answer. Yeah. Um, and Troy is one of those people that if he asks 
he, he, I think everyone here is kind of of the same mind that if he asks you to join him on a project, the, the, the answer is yes. And then ask questions later. Mm. Um, and so I sent him some singing stuff and, you know, stuff from my phone and whatever. And then when the offer came in and I saw what it was and I saw who I was playing and I saw not only is it an interactive musical, but it's an interactive musical based on mythology. And it immediately, my, my eight year old nerd child brain exploded because it was all the things I loved in one place. It was games, it was singing and musicals, and it was mythology. And when people ask you as an actor, like, oh, do you have a dream role? And some people are like, I'd like to play the Scottish King. I'd like to do this. I'm usually like, I don't know. I mean, probably, but I haven't seen what it is yet. And this so far is the closest that I've come to someone to someone just that just landing in my lap and me going, oh, 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 wow. Someone thought of me before I thought of me before they knew me. Yeah. Um, if that makes sense. So by the time I came on, all I got from these lovely fellows, I got a uh, I got some sheet music mm. with a bunch of different options and a bunch of different you know branches. And then I got a track which was a man singing the Medusa part with some piano plunked out. Mm-hmm. So it was very different than what you hear in the final game, but it was it was such so bare bones. And what I didn't know at the time, but what these guys informed me of later, was that this was going to be the first recording session that they did for the game hmm. at all. So everyone was kind of finding their feet. And uh, so when I came on, obviously they had, I would assume, a lot of material for everybody, and they knew who was going to be in it. Um, but it was definitely a diving off point where we were all trying to see what it was going to become. And so that made it, between the energies of of all three of them, of Troy, Austin, and David, it was such a safe and fun space um, that it, you know, it just felt like there were no wrong answers. Yeah, and we should uh, add that uh, it seems, it's an unusual intersection, you know, theater lover and game lover, but uh, I was saying before we recorded that I'm one of those people, and Anjali, so were you, you were saying that, when you were in Metamorphoses on Broadway, which is a show that probably a lot of listeners saw or at least have heard of, you would go home at night and play video games. You would go from the show to your yep. to your console. Oh, I wouldn't that. just go. I would not just go home at night to do it. I would go home <laughs> like between shows, between shows, nice. and hop on my laptop. <laughs> no, there was a long period of time where um, the two things that, uh, or the three things, I should say, that I uh, determined what time it was or what season it was in my life was: what show am I doing? What snacks am I eating? And what games? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I think Broadway was the heroes of might and magic. Phase. Oh, all right. I was going to yeah, ask yeah. what was, what was, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think I'm pretty sure that was that. It was also veggie and pirate booty. Oh. If anyone's interested. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Very delicious, delicious pre-show snack. Very healthy diet that I was living on. That's, That's a great so way. That's so funny. Such a ridiculous dinner. And well, and so David and Austin, you both mentioned the the Buffy musical, which is a thing that uh, a lot of musical theater folks will know. And of course, Joss Whedon was inspired by people like Stephen Sondheim and folks like that. So it, what? So you decide to make a musical game. How much do you think? Oh, I, I need to learn some more about musical theater. Were you musical theater people? Did you do? A, did you study anything? Like what? What? How did you think about approaching the idea of writing a musical game? And how much was it related to kind of the canon of you know, the greats. Uh, maybe I'll, I'll answer first, Dustin. Yeah, go uh, ahead, David. Go, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I, my background in the actual production of a musical, like the knowing the heart, the, the, 
the bones of how one makes one uh not very much i'm i'm like a listener i mean i <laughs> i i can list off all the musicals i've loved for sure yeah but uh thinking about how they are constructed mm. uh was new a lot of that uh, uh austin and the, and the lyricists had to sort of educate me but i i don't think that was necessarily a bad thing because the the thing i i learned over uh my time working uh on branching narratives is that as soon as you introduce agency and choice into a story that nature of it changes dramatically so i knew that um if you went if you went if you approach this project thinking okay we're making a musical and it has to follow the rules of a musical that most of those rules were going to go flying out the window as soon as you you introduced the interactive element anyway so i mean uh, there were some things that were like uh, um between austin and the lyricist they were like no no we have to include at least these parts of like the heart of what makes music like like the first song has to be the I feel song, right? Mm -hmm. the, where you start off, where, where, where is the, the, the main character emotionally? And I'm like, oh, yeah, that, that makes sense. But, uh, yeah, a lot of the other rules went out the window. Yeah. Yeah, I can definitely um, one-up that. I mean, the, the um, or like seconded is what I mean. Mm -hmm. One-up sounds very competitive. <laughs> uh, I, can, I can destroy that terrible answer. Um, <laughs> No, I, uh, yes, I can second all of that uh, thoroughly in that the sort of what you might think of as the traditional structure of a musical, you know, you've got your big act one closer and, and all those kinds of very typical uh, bits of architecture. The game didn't have much by way of direct corollary to by virtue of the structure of the game. You know, mm -hmm. we definitely have a three act structure, but part of the way that, that David built it is the middle act is highly modular and sort of non-linear compared to the rest. So we don't get the typical anchor points that a musical hinges on in order to kind of do all the things that a typical musical needs to do, you know, not, not least of which pragmatic things like, you know, how do we make sure that they're super excited when the intermission hits uh, and, and, you know, and how do we kind of walk them back in or do we want to facilitate a, a time jump or all these sorts of things that, that, the natural sort of uh, theater landscape or even a movie musical kind of mm. would invite itself to. So um, I think in terms of, you know, inspirations as a result, like my kind of hero of all time is Leonard Bernstein. Um, I, I literally have a painting of Bernstein on the wall in my studio. Um, now, ironically being, you know, so obviously universally well known for West side story, um, it's not like Sondheim where he has this giant boatload of musicals that he wrote. Although I do really love on the town. Um, that to me is just one of those, like I just surely musically is just so delightful and wonderful. Um, but one of the things that I always loved is that there's a quote I came across in one of his books where he basically was saying that no matter what he was writing, whether it was, you know, he wrote three symphonies um, and, you know, on the town began as a ballet and he did one film score and a few other, you know, famous, there's a piece called the Chichester Psalms, which is more of a, almost, you could call it almost like a religious choral piece. Um, he always said, no matter what he was writing, he was writing for the theater. Um, like even if it's a symphony, the Kaddish symphony, it's still a theater piece, you know, fundamentally speaking. And I, I always, I always loved that. But, um, but in terms of 
so despite how much his sort of influence as a musical mind, I don't really think my music sounds like his, but as a thinker on music, I, he definitely got right down into the core of my being um, early on. Um, it's, it's hard to not feel like Sondheim is, is sort of cast the biggest shadow over this, over Stray Gods. If only because Sondheim's, the unity of, of lyrical idea and musical idea as part of his thing is, was essential for us because that was usually the only way we could track player agency. The idea that rather than it being a game where, okay, I have door number one, door number two, door number three, and if I pick door number two, a song will result. It's like, no, no, that's too easy in a way. What if every few seconds you're making a choice in the middle of a song and it's like this branching river system where every so often you have all these little forks that you need to sort of decide which way to go. Well, the only way to make it not just sound like some through composed, you know, constant just barrage of new material is to have little traceable bits that can come back and, and we can, you know, sort of place them in there strategically while honoring what the player just did or just chose. So that means that while there are long lyrical melodic lines, they mm. tended to be at the kind of end of branching cul-de-sacs instead of uh, when we're in the midst of all this branching, relying on, you know, four or five little notes. I, I think of that as a very Sondheim-y thing to do, um, mm. which is it's a lot more uh, attached to almost like the classical tradition than a lot of the Broadway tradition. But that's one of the things mm. that I think makes him so amazing is it's just this fusion of, of kind of like musical genius and intellectual genius. Um, and um, so we were, we were biting at the heels um, of, of, of that in little bits. Plus, you know, I, I wrote these songs principally with these three guys. There's this band from Australia. That's like a musical comedy group called tripod that are the closest comparison I would ever make to them is the flight of the Concords, where they're sort of comedian songwriters, but they're all deep, musical theater nerds themselves mm. uh, far more than probably anyone I know, to be honest. And to your story, Anjali, one of the things that I always loved about them is for years and years when they would tour, it, they always used to say that the show was actually the warm up act to the halo match that would take place in the hotel room <laughs> later, that they were really just warming themselves up for the grudge match. I about, mean, it's like the reward. It's like, yeah, yeah. The curtain call is sort of a reward, but so is getting home to the game. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, they, they make no, Sondheim in particular as a, as a huge influence um, for them. I mean, there's the obvious choices, uh, but but it's just, it, you could feel it in the way they approach things as well in a big way. Yeah. And so what does, like, Anjali, when you got, we all know, the, the I and the listeners of this podcast will know what the, you know, book and score of a musical look like. But like, when... The, the final product of the, uh, if if they were to hand, you know, uh, Stray Gods to you as a, you know, the equivalent of the book and score of musical theater, what would it look mm -hmm. like? How many pages would it be? How many words was it? Oh, and how many I... lines did you have? <laughs> that's that's way above my pay grade. Um, I, I don't remember counting a thing. Mm. But what I what I do remember, and it's interesting because when you were talking about your influences, Austin and, and both of you were talking about structuring the the show. Two things did hit me um, that I feel like would be a, a nice link for for theater audiences as well, mm. which is that um, you know I've I've done a lot of work 
with Mary Zimmerman, who did Metamorphoses and a bunch of other things. And a lot of what she does is adaptations of lots of different kinds of literature, whether they're epics like Greek, you know, Greco-Roman epics like the Odyssey or whatever, uh, or Metamorphoses, or they are other epic poems. But what they always do require is your ability to create a character and show who that character is in a very limited space in a limited amount of time which is essentially the same thing that we have to do in Stray Gods as actors for most of us, because most of us, other than, you know, Freddie and, and uh, Grace, Laura and, and Janina, opposite casting there, but um, other than the two of them, most of the characters have a little limited time to convey all of that, and many of us, like Medusa, only really has that one encounter. Right. And so when I... I, I think it's less about the number of lines and the number of pages that you would get than I remember reading the words in between the music and like, yeah, like learning the music, which was incredibly challenging and awesome, which was exciting. But like really reading the words and then thinking, how can I convey all of the subtext of this in this phrase? Mm. Because I'm not just going to, I'm not going to have the whole song to convey this the gamer might only hear this one phrase. Right. They might only hear this one sentence to convey that entire emotion. So that sense of, of urgency and potency of the portrayal of a character was really, really very much there. Um, and I, I definitely sensed that from the written material that I got more than anything, is that, okay, you've got... You got this much time, and I'm making a very small gesture with my fingers. Mm. You've got very, very, very little time to convey this. How are you going to make that happen? Mm. Um, and I do think it's very similar to if you were to see uh, uh, some of the published works of Mary Zimmerman, you'll see they're very sparely written, very sparsely written. Would be a little confusing, too. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. But I mean, like, the thing that we were concerned about uh, always was, here, we're going to give you a bunch of music. And now... Uh, your normal song is going to last last like a few minutes, right? But here, a single song, because of all the branching, has like twenty to thirty to minutes of total content, if not more. Right. But it's all in little little disconnected pieces because uh, the the songs are arranged sort of in in a, in a, in blocks. Yeah. So this is what's cool about it. And again, I, I keep going back to Mary, but it's very much a part of this kind of rehearsal process and also the kind of collaborative theater adaptation process that happens a lot in Chicago, which is where. I first started doing theater, yeah. um, is that this this experience is very reminiscent of the rehearsal process when you're putting it together. And when you're trying to figure out, okay, we know we are telling this epic story, but we're not entirely sure which way we want to tell this epic story and what yeah. parts of this character do we want to show and what parts of the story do we want to show and do we want them to affect this character or that character. So in that rehearsal process, you'll be doing all sorts of experimentation and sometimes experimentation with voices, sometimes experimentations with physicality, whatever it is. But it's, it was very reminiscent of that cool, now we're going to play. Now we're going to throw that out because we just finished recording that. Now we're going to play with this. Now we're going to play with this possibility. And so it 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 really hearkened back. The more and more I think about it, the, is the more excited you can see I get, the more and more I think about it, it really hearkened back to those early days of doing theater in Chicago, which sparked my heart and and made storytelling the the place that I got my greatest joy. Mm. Um, and role-playing games, whether tabletop or video games, um, were already a part of my fun time. So to make them part of something that you are actually doing for the consumption of other people and for the enjoyment of other people is like, 
that's just that's everything yeah that's everything and i'm you know look i'm i i the mystery of edwin drew just barely touched the surface of what can happen <laughs> with uh with something like this so right. you know yeah. i i i got my pitch ready when broadway's well, yeah <laughs> I'll have more with David, Austin, and Anjali right after the break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And now here's more of my conversation with the creators of the video game Stray Gods. David, the uh, the storyline is uh, it's kind of an urban fantasy. That's a murder mystery. The Greek pantheon is involved. At what point did the story settle, and why was this the story and the world that felt right for the form that you were kind of creating as you were going along here? I mean, when we when we first started, the way I the way I've always worked is is uh, I will come up with a few um high level pitches for my my mm. my my teammates basically because i want everybody on board and so I'll, I'll make three or four things so i think this was a case of here's this one really cool idea i have and i'll give you some options because i'm giving you options <laughs> but there's a right and wrong answer but there's here. a right exactly. and wrong answer here people uh, like, uh, actually but the initial idea um didn't have what, 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 it didn't have the gods aspect actually. Mm. That was uh, Lee Messler through the uh, he 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 has been I think he'd been watching American Gods and was like, well, what about uh, uh, she's amused? Because I was looking for I had this idea for uh, uh, um, how to couch the murder mystery part, um, but it didn't it didn't have the muse. And he's like, well, what if it's the what like the one of the one of the Greek muses? And I was like, oh, but then we need the, the rest of the Greek gods as, as these characters. And, he, and he's like, yeah, like sort of like sort of like American gods. Or, or there was a, um, a comic book series, I think, called Wicked and the Divine at the time, which we, we didn't. We had, I think I, I read a little bit of it. I was like, yeah, okay, I see, I see what you're going for. And, and that's where that's where that that germinated. Uh, there's a lot. There's a lot of plates to spin in that particular thing because I'm like, oh, I gotta introduce the whole idea that the gods are in the modern world and I, why and how and and um so yeah uh, that that's where it's red sports right. yeah and then uh austin was there a uh, as you were writing these songs and you were you had to branch all these into all these different blocks did you how did you like i'm imagining yourselves writing yourselves into a corner and you have to f come up with eight different rhymes for the same word because you have eight <laughs> different options what uh what 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 were the what were some of the very specific challenges of of uh making these songs work so like i kind of alluded to a minute ago one of the biggest hurdles was to make it feel like um it actually was a song mm. uh, the, the mental image i like to plant with folks who i'm describing this to and they don't really know what it is is if if I imagine that I'm in the room playing it and the person I'm talking to is kind of elsewhere in the room and only half paying attention and they just listen to it, 
they should think I'm watching a conventional musical. They don't, it doesn't occur to them that, that um, at every sort of juncture, you know, four or five, six, seven times within a song, every few seconds, every 20, 30 seconds, uh, there's a choice that's being offered up to the player of, of usually three very different, emotionally different paths to follow. So the question is, okay, how do you reconcile giving the player that kind of latitude and, and agency over the story and over the emotional content while also uh, making it feel like a, it actually tells a coherent story and is musically coherent? That was far and away the, the biggest challenge. And we, we, we tackled how to solve that very case by case. So I can't really generalize about the solutions because the solutions are wrapped up into whatever that song is trying to do and whatever it's trying to get across. So, but to use an example, um, there's a, uh, there's a song fairly early in the game, the first third or so of the game where Grace goes into this nightclub and meets the goddess Persephone and has to try to get some information out of her. And she's starting off on her back heel. So Persephone has made it clear before one word has been exchanged that, that they, she does not like, our main character of Grace, that, 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 you know, this is, this is basically uh, not going to go well for Grace as the default setting, basically. And so our, our choices center around these three emotional uh, approaches. There's kind of well, the red one, which is this very antagonistic, aggressive, we call it kick-ass. It's the fight fire with fire, get in someone's face, that kind of thing. The clever, um, is the uh, the sort of it's the potentially intellectual, it's the conniving, it's the I will maybe outsmart my opponent rather than try to kind of get in their face and and sort of make them succumb to my will, sort of thing. Um, and then the charming is sort of the genuinely compassionate or empathetic, where you know you're you're going well. Actually, maybe I can I can understand where they're coming from, and we can connect on a more sort of earnest level and, and meet eye to eye and or something along those lines these are crude generalizations but these were the guiding light of we want the player to be faced with information and to just role play how they would respond it's almost like improv theater where you just someone says a thing to you and you just ask yourself how does this make me feel well you know this fucking pissed me off so i'm going red um but then when i see what pr- reaction red provokes maybe that makes me now suddenly feel empathetic so red has to then go to green, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so uh, finding a way to, to thread all this is why I mentioned that kind of very granularized musical motivic approach. Um, but also one of the things that I worked out, especially after the fact, once we had the basic sort of melody and lyrical content that I came up with, with uh, very much in collaboration with the three guys from Tripod, uh, Stephen Gates, Simon Hall, and, and Scott Edgar, you know, we, we cooked this all up throwing ideas back and forth and really working it out, but in a very piano demo or guitar, you know, scratch kind of way, like Anjali said, you know, the Medusa scene was just plunking piano chords on, you know, half note rhythms while she sang this line. And in reality, it's, it's, it's like this twisted EDM kind of music. I mean, it's just so, it's so not what she tracked to. Um, it's not what anyone, uh, any of us tracked to last and honestly. <laughs> yeah. Almost every cast member was a little bit flying in the in the dark, and and I'll and, and part of the reason for that, I mean, the, not part of the main reason for that, was to invite them to to truly act and not just be a session singer. You know, the idea was how do you embody 
this character, you know, part of, part of this stems from another, there's another cast member. We were very lucky to have Anthony Rapp, who I'm sure. obviously every listener of this podcast will be familiar with. Also a former guest and on this podcast himself. Yes. Undoubtedly. Yeah. yeah. And, and um, he and I've known each other about uh, the better part of 10 years. Mm-hmm. I, I met him through our director that Anjali brought up our, our performance director, uh, Troy Baker. They knew each other somehow. And, and Troy and I did a show in New York that Anthony came to and, when he was touring with um, If Then, I remember I went and saw it uh, when they were here in L.A. and then he and I were getting a coffee after. And I, I actually remember having the thought of the kind of mid-scene change of character to an alternate version of the same character felt qu- quite gamey in a way. Mm. And I was very impressed with how they all managed to be two people that would pivot on a dime from one second to the next, the whole, the whole cast. Um, and I remember talking with him about that. And, and so in a way, what we're doing is kind of like saying, what if the whole game is that? And it's an actual thing where you're leaning into it. Well, we want the actors to help shape what that means. So, you know, if it's like if Grace in the scene with Anjali, for example, is um, going to be very aggressive and in her face. Well, we want Anjali to then say, what is Medusa's response to being treated aggressively? And what is her response to being treated more compassionately or more kind of cleverly and, and, and connivingly. And then how do I build the final sort of orchestration supportive of these vocals around the story that these actors are then helping us tell? Mm. Does that make sense? I feel like yeah. I told that a super circuitous way, but <laughs> I'm planning on you to call me out at some made me it, it made perfect sense to me, and I'm sitting here learning things about the game that I've never thought of before. So thank you. It was a, it was a great experience. I mean, uh, uh, a lot of it was like Anjali Anjali's experience was probably the most pronounced because when Anjali came in, uh, we weren't sure how we wanted this character to sound. We weren't sure quite how we were going to do the re- recording a bit of it. Like, I mean, uh, I didn't have a clear idea of of how I wanted Medusa to act, so that we, we trusted Anjali to provide, to give us this performance and to sort of explore. And I mean, uh, part of that is us give, giving an actor room to explore as well. I wanted this to be a collaborative process where they inform us as much as much as the reverse. I'm, I, I'm not going to sit there and, and dictate. And and we were free to much to change lines on the fly if we needed to, and and just sort of feel it out. And that was both recording the dialogue and the singing. So. Uh, and that was very, very, that was, again, very reminiscent of the theatrical mm-hmm. rehearsal process in a way that most games are not. Yeah, I would think. Because yeah. I, I've, I've been given leeway in a session, in a recording session for a game, you know, to make some decisions and to make certain pitch decisions or whatnot. But in, in this session with these guys, in that first session, it really felt like, okay, play. Mm. Knock yourself out. What you got? Show us what you got. Yeah. And... That level of freedom can either be terrifying or exciting or both. Um, uh, and it was the right, it was the perfect combina- combination of both because there was a little bit of danger to it too. Yeah. You know, and which is really, really, really fun. And, and just credit as a, as a quick sort of practical thing, it, a big credit goes to, to all the actors, but particularly Anjali for being our kind of guinea pig at the beginning of the process when we were still working it out. Because as you can imagine, you know, sheet music, all music until the last 20 years where we started experimenting in video games with non-linearity has been linear. All music from the beginning of time to pre, pre-language pre humans singing around a campfire through to, 
you know, today has been the piece starts here and it ends there. And so uh, when you're, when we created these pieces that are super branching and have just huge numbers of permutations that are possible, pragmatically, there's still the challenge of, well, sheet music is designed as a format to just spell out linearly. So that's what we did. So you end up with a, a song I, I put in quotes, that's 900 bars long, 1500 bars long and contains the shortest ones had 20 minutes worth of material. The longest ones were more like 45 minutes worth of material, even though the player will only experience 44 uh, minutes, three and a half, maybe five minutes. A couple of the longer ones get a bit longer than that, but it feels normal song length, uh, particularly sort of theater song length for, for a lot of these that have a lot of story to tell in them. Um, but um, um, but at any given time, you're only hearing maybe 20%, 15% of the total material that's there. Well, so the challenge to the cast on unpacking that is you're trying to build a thread and you're tr the cast, you could feel them all going into professional actor mode, as is their default, to say, how do I kind of make sure that this begets this, begets this? And it's like, well, bear in mind that this might not have been begotten by that. This actually is based on if the player did this and this, that. And so we had to kind of figure out the best ways to even unpack the order in which to record things. Because if you just sang it straight through, it's kind of like reading the index of an instruction manual where you're getting this <laughs> alphabetization of concepts that is not how they actually are doled out in the book. You know yeah. what I mean? Where it's like the art, it's an arbitrary relisting of things. And, and, but we had no other option other because it was sheet music is fundamentally linear. That's how we had to do it. And it was an interesting learning experience. You know, every song we kind of changed the formula a little bit to see if we found a better one because it, it, no one had ever taught us how to do this. One thing that struck me about the game is that it, the form of it is pretty accessible even to people who are not gamers. Like it is not a, a musical first person shooter. You don't have to know your way around the buttons. You yeah. don't have to like- <laughs> Thank it, God, yeah. I would right. never yeah. be able to, well, <laughs> I would never be able to play it. Right, and so it's it feels like, I, I just wonder who your, uh, who your sort of end user is. Like, who do you feel like uh, is the player for this game and who were you writing it for? Well, I mean, we initially did have more mechanics mm. in the game. Like there was like a, you had to build up, uh, um, we call it flows, some, some points during the songs, which would allow you, to, like you, you would be able to get a certain endings or not. And like you had to play the games more. Mm. And the issue we found uh, when people were first uh, testing that out is that even even minor mechanics in the in the songs meant that people would stop listening to the song mm -hmm. and would were were mentally trying to figure out how do I get the result that I want and trying to reverse engineer it. So eventually we made the decision. I mean, it was, it was hard because uh, uh, Liam and I uh, and Ellie, our, our third co-founder, were pretty hardcore gamers. And like, you can't have no mechanics in a game? That's crazy. Uh, and then when we took it out, everybody was just so much happier and we thought, you know what, this works. The, in terms of our audience, there's going to be people that are that are uh, narrative-focused gamers. But I think there's also room for people who don't think of themselves as gamers necessarily and, and like might hear of a game that's like, oh, a musical game? Like a, a, with, with, with the Greek gods? That sounds kind of cool. But I'm not, I don't play games. I'm not, I'm not a gamer. And, and like having a space where they could come in and, and figure out, oh, this, that I, that I'm just making choices here. And it's, it's more about the experience of it as opposed to the playing a game part of it. 
And now that the game is out in the world and receiving some very nice reviews, does uh, David and Austin, does it make you want to do it again? Do do make another musical <laughs> as a game? I suspect I suspect opposite answers here. <laughs> <laughs> as David's face looks world weary and ready for, for uh, you know, uh, eulogizing. Uh, yeah. My answer is yes. Conditionally, it's like I need some time <laughs> to recover. Maybe do something else for a bit, and then and then come back and be like, yes, okay, yes, let's write a song. I uh, just uh, I, uh, getting to the point where uh, how do I write songs? I thought, you know, I'm a writer. I write interactive dialogue. Surely I can come in and and write lyrics. That's not that different, is it? <laughs> <laughs> Turns <Sorry>. out. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well, Austin, your answer? Yeah, well, it's so it's funny because my trajectory was sort of, I came at it, it's like the other half of the coin. David spent, you know, a good long while working on branching narrative as a concept. And I'd spent my career, you know, coming up on 20 years, uh, obsessing over interactive music systems. My very first commercial game in 2005 was all about dynamic music and 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 it's been kind of the thing i obsess over i very rarely write when working in games can like what you could call tracks of music or whatever it's all these sort of toolkits that get wrapped up into the programming of the game and so for me it was it was simply just well what if all the stuff that i've been doing is connected to the narrative in a more core way that's that's just called a musical now but it's still it's basically the thing it's basically my day job uh, but joined more tightly at the hip with the creative director and the writer than normal. So from my standpoint, it's like I'm I'm chomping at the bit to to uh, of another time at bat because this is all I do all day anyway. Uh, and I and it and it exposed so many possibilities of oh man, this really this really showed like the concept. I think I hope we leave it to the audience to decide. But the concept seems viable. But how do we approach it a new way? Well, the game is out now, and listeners can check it out on uh, a number of potential platforms. Um, and thanks to all three of you for joining me. It was great talking with you. Thank you. Thank you. That was David Gator, Austin Wintry, and Anjali Bamani from the musical video game Stray Gods, now available on Nintendo Switch, PlayStation, Xbox, and PC. If you enjoyed this conversation on StageCraft, I'd really appreciate it if you took the time to rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. It really does help. Or tell a friend about StageCraft. Find past episodes and subscribe at all the places you get your pods, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and on the Broadway Podcast Network, a great place to find more theater for your ears. Until next episode, find me on Instagram and Twitter at Gordon B. Cox. Thanks for listening, and see you at the theater. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now.
and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.